This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann. This is the final episode in the series from guest host Shane Sater, a reflection on how an introduced plant species can create a novel ecosystem and the adaptations of the animals and other life that live alongside it. Enjoy this podcast from Shane, and I'll join you again after. Kosha, Kosha scoparia. The mention of this weed conjures consternation in the minds of many. But when I think of Kosha, I think of sparrows. Hi, I'm Shane Sater, author of the What's Going On Out There blog. Today's reading is from November 7th, 2022. It's titled, Kosha, What This Despised Weed Does for Fall Sparrows. If you're a more visual person and want to follow along with text and photos while you listen, you can also find this story on my website, whatsgoingonblog.org. So now, let's continue with the story. October 24th, 2022, was a day when it was hard to miss the connection between Kosha and sparrows. A snowstorm had pushed through Helena the day before. The glowing golden leaves of the sandbar willows, Salix exigua, were covered with wet snow. It was a reminder that winter was coming. Montana's six-month season of cold and snow was on its way. And among the thick, bushy kosha stands, lining a recently restored section of Prickly Pear Land Trust's Seven Mile Creek Stream Restoration Site near Helena, the sparrows seemed to be everywhere. Three other naturalists had joined me on this morning's survey. Photographer Leah Fry had brought an arsenal of cameras along. Check out more of her amazing work at leaf-images.com. Sean Watts and Scott Beeler were helping to spot birds and track behaviors. Part 1. Sparrows in the Kosha And as soon as we got into the Kosha, there was a lot to track. Right away, I could hear American tree sparrows, recent arrivals from the Arctic, making their tip calls from two different directions. Then Leah spotted three more birds as they hopped into the tops of the kosha. These were migrating Lincoln sparrows, compact with crisp, dark streaks across their subtle tan breasts. And it was surprising to see them here this late. Lincoln sparrows nest in wet, willowy patches in the mountains of Montana and the boreal forest of Canada and Alaska. Here at Seven Mile Creek, they're a common fall migrant, their numbers typically peaking in late September. By now, late October, I would generally expect that all of them would have already moved through. But this year, with a mild fall, it was clear that a few Lincoln sparrows were lingering longer than expected. Soon we saw another sparrow, perching on top of a kosher plant. Surely this was just one of those that we had already seen? But no, this was a song sparrow, streaky like the Lincoln sparrows, but larger, its breast white rather than tan. Its streaks were thicker, too, as if they had been painted with a crayon instead of with a fine-tipped pen. Part 2. Song Sparrows and Migration The song sparrow is the more adaptable cousin of the Lincoln sparrow. It nests across much of Canada, migrating south as winter approaches. But it's also a common nester in Montana, not just in wet willow thickets in the mountains, 
but also nearly anywhere, high or low elevation, that there is water and good cover. Seeing a song sparrow here, it's hard to tell what its story might be. Is it one of those song sparrows that nests here, sticking around through the fall to feed on kosha seeds? Or is this bird a migrant moving south from Canada? But today, the song sparrows kept popping up in the kosha. By the end of the day, we had counted at least 11 of them here, way more than the handful we find during the breeding season. With so many song sparrows present, it seemed likely that we were seeing some Canadian migrants moving south in preparation for winter. Part 3. White-crowned sparrows from Canada The American tree sparrows I had heard at first remained secretive. It was only later, in the chokecherries, that we got a good look at them. But soon we saw a fourth species of sparrow perching in the kosher tops. This one, the white-crowned sparrow, was the largest yet. Unstreaked on the breast like the American tree sparrow, we could see its pale orange beak from a distance. Soon several more of them appeared, a small flock. All of these white-crowned sparrows were this summer's hatchlings, their striped heads brown, not the striking black and white of the adults. Eventually, we counted at least eight of them. They looked at us quizzically as they fed on kosher seeds. Like the Lincoln sparrows, these white crowns were unusually late migrants. En route from their birthplaces in the boreal forest of Canada or Alaska, they were stopping here to stock up on seeds as they fled the approaching winter. Soon, like the Lincoln sparrows, they would be gone, not to be seen again in Montana until the spring. Note, like Lincoln sparrows, there are also white-crowned sparrows that nest in the mountains of Montana. But those birds have a dark stripe not only behind the eye, but also in front of it. Based on this distinction, we could tell that these migrants were from the more northerly boreal forest population. Part 4. Sparrow Identification Phew! So many sparrows. No wonder some people dismiss them all as little brown birds. But like the weedy kosher that feeds them, I believe sparrows are far more interesting than people often assume. And with a bit of practice, they aren't all that hard to tell apart. Let's review these four. Lincoln Sparrow. Small, with a very pointy bill. Breast with fine, dark streaks on an orange-tan background. Song Sparrow. A bit larger, with a broader, more triangular bill. Breast with wider streaks on a white background. White Crown Sparrow. One of our largest sparrows, with a yellow or orange bill. Breast solid gray, without streaks or spots. Adults have black and white stripes on their heads. Immatures have chestnut brown stripes instead. American Tree Sparrow. Breast grayish like a white-crowned sparrow, but with a dark central spot. Upper part of the bill gray, lower part yellow. Chestnut striped head. The sparrows kept appearing. There seemed to be dozens, maybe more. After all, we only had four sets of eyes, and there were thousands of kosha plants where sparrows could hide. Maybe there were fifty sparrows in here today, maybe more. At one point, we saw five song sparrows perching together. Others made unidentifiable, lispy calls nearby. And each time a bird popped into view, 
we had to check to see if it was something new. There's so many species in these little groups that, positionally, you can't say what's what, Scott remarked. Part 5. Watching for Rarities and Other Surprises Earlier, Sean had posed the important question of what other species we might hope to see here. And so it was that we kept our eyes open for the rarer possibilities as well. We watched for Harris's sparrows with their massive pink bills. White-throated sparrows with a prominent yellow spot in front of their eye. Swamp sparrows like a rarer version of a Lincoln sparrow and without strong breast streaks. Fox sparrows resembling the song sparrow but with their breast streaks made up of reddish rows of V's. We kept our eyes peeled, but none of these rarities materialized. Suddenly, Scott noticed something unusual. It fell out of the sky in the gray blink of an eye, disappearing among the kosha. Or had Scott only imagined it? We waited. Nothing seemed to have changed. The sparrows kept perching and calling. Snow dripped slowly from the kosha. And then, minutes later, we saw it well. A sharp-shinned hawk, petite and ferocious. It leapt up from the kosha, disturbed from its attempt at ambushing the sparrows. There it perched in the chokecherries, a tiny predator intent on a sparrow lunch. Here was the food web, right in front of our eyes. From kosha seed to sparrow crop to a sharp-shinned hawk's lunch. The last link in this chain was delayed for a time. But here or in the next kosha stand along the route of its migration, the sharpshinned hawk would surely try again. Part 6. Kosha, the Hated Weed To most people, kosha is a weed. Native to Asia and Eastern Europe, it's an annual that has an amazing propensity to thrive along roadsides and in the disturbed soil of crop fields. People spray herbicides so often to control it that kosha has become resistant to several of them. As an annual, kosha's strategy is to grow fast, produce a cornucopia of seeds, and then get out. Here at Seven Mile Creek, kosha has benefited from soil disturbance by excavators during stream restoration work. This patch of weeds is a short-lived phenomenon. In a few years, perennials like smooth brome, Bromus inermis, will outcompete it. Part 7. Kosha, the Sparrow's Food But to sparrows, the very traits that make kosha the bane of farmers make it a popular fall food source. It's common, and it thrives where few other plants manage to grow. It's loaded with seeds. Its dense stands provide shelter from the weather and from predators. So what does all of this mean? Is kosha good, or is it bad? As with all plants, it's difficult to make such a simplistic value judgment. If you're trying to grow wheat, kosha probably isn't your favorite plant. But if you're a sparrow looking for seeds at the tail end of fall migration, it might be just the ticket. I probably wouldn't recommend planting kosha in your yard for wildlife habitat. If you're looking for seed-rich annuals that like disturbed soil, I'd recommend some of our native plants instead. Think of pit seed goosefoot, Kenopodium berlandieri, 
Giant Seed Goosefoot, Chenopodium simplex, Common Sunflower, Helianthus annuus, and perhaps Marsh Elder, Iva xanthifolia. But if you find a thick patch of kochia in the fall, don't just call it rude names. Grab your binoculars and take a slow walk through it, and let me know which sparrows you find. And that was Shane Sater. You can read more of his nature writing, view his photographs, and find more of his recordings at whatsgoingonblog.org, which, of course, I'll link to in the show notes. What did you think of this series from Shane? Would you like more guest episodes like this in the future? If so, whose voices would you like to hear elevated through the Permaculture Podcast? Leave a comment in the show notes or visit thepermaculturepodcast.com and click on contact to send me a direct message today. Until I hear from you, or we meet again, spend each day reflecting on our relationships with ourselves, others, and all life, while taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other. The Permaculture Podcast is a production of Permaneo Group. Find out more about the Permaculture Podcast, including the extensive archives, by visiting our website, thepermaculturepodcast.com. Learn more about Permaneo Group and other projects at permaneogroup.com.